Welcome to episode 59 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment podcast. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're a couple of machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Eddie, Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I uh, haven't been in the shop much, but I'm hoping to live vicariously through you guys <laughs> when I hear what you've been up to for the last two weeks. How about you, Chris? Uh, the UMC shop has been kind of quiet because they're just pumping away. Um, and then at work, I've just been having fun with the D- uh, DVF, Doosan, 5-axis. Um, but that's about it on my front. I think Winston's got a lot more exciting stuff to talk about than we do. Isn't that right? Spill it. Uh, it's been a long time coming. But uh, finally, we can uh, we can talk about the Nomad 3 and the Shapeoko Pro, which is this weird name reversal. Like, uh, from... The, the most current, latest and greatest used to be uh, Shapeoko 3 Nomad Pro, and now it's Shapeoko Pro Nomad 3. <laughs> it's weird, but I'm just glad it's finally out in the wild. and Well, not out in the wild yet, but out in public knowledge. Yeah, I saw the, uh, there's a nice blog post on the, the Carbide blog. Yeah, Rob uh, took his, he really enjoyed writing that, I think. He doesn't get to nerd out all that often, so... When he gets the chance to write a post like that, he he makes it good. It's nice and juicy. I was excited about both machines, but uh, like the you know, I kind of I mean, I knew a little bit about what was going on with the Nomad, but the the Shapeoko Pro that's that was just kind of a surprise. It was. We so the fun thing about Illinois is that there are two shops. Um, we started in. Uh, one bay of one shop and then we uh, acquired a um, separate shop um, very like just across the street basically Um, so all the the fun r&d stuff that edward's doing is in the old shop and all the uh, current shapeoko stuff is happening in the main shop and so very few people have actually laid eyes on the machine up until very recently so it's pretty easy to keep uh keep that under wraps yeah pretty cool looks like pretty much the wish list of things that uh people have done to their shape of goes right to every bit of feedback um that we had and basically leave people no room to complain about the shape oko architecture i mean you could obviously like wish for like a completely different machine maybe like a four by eight with like ball screws and uh like several horsepower vfd but for for something that's true to the shapeoko dna um i think it's it's as good as a shapeoko can be right now yeah i agree i mean the pricing is still you know very much in the startup startup hobby um class right as far as uh, affordability yeah it's it's you're not taking like a, a big jump up to like a, a shop bot class machine um but it's it's still a lot of value um in that like sub three sub 4k range yeah yeah so uh, it looks like you guys are making the xxl first and then going backwards yeah so the what we want to do first is like make sure our supply chain is everything's ironed out um so we'll start with one machine first and then once we're comfortable with that we'll start rolling out to the rest of the sizes so it's going to mirror the uh, original shape Oko 3, so you got your standard size, roughly 16 by 16 work area, 
the XL, which is like roughly 32 by 16, and then the double XL, which is what we're shipping first, the like 33-ish by 33-ish. So right. it's uh, basically the same um, tiers, um, just raised by about a thousand dollars. Yeah, and for that you get linear rails on all axes, right? Uh huh. Yeah. X, and, Y, and Z, yep. which is really nice. Yeah, um, it looks like I wasn't sure, but did you, um, I think I read it on there. Like the the sheet metal it used to be like a sheet metal, like the ends for each axis, the brackets. Yeah, are those so aluminum the, now? Um, every structural bit of sheet metal has been eliminated. Uh, so everything is machined aluminum plate that bolts down to the frame and uh, stuff like that. So every every part of the machine that is crucial to the structure or the accuracy is machined. So the ends of the rails are machined, the plates are machined. Um, so people who are complaining like, oh, the machine doesn't get like put together square, uh, we've eliminated their their room for complaining. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So like a lot of the that tramming video that you've always, you were always kind of the expert <laughs> on tramming the, the shape of going out, it becomes so much easier, right? Um, probably yeah. just a spindle um, we've mount. We've actually, yep, the, sim, the spindle mount's new, which I really like. Uh, there are four screws that bolt into the Z plate and then two screws that go across in the X direction that clamp down on the router. So now those are independent. On like the um, right. HD uh, mount on the HDZ, it's actually... Um, there are still four bolts that go front to back that bolt the mount to the uh, Z plate, but two of those on the right side are also for clamping the spindle. Um, so there's a little bit of redundancy, and like if you loosen them to adjust everything, you, um, we've just decoupled those completely, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, so it's like less degrees of freedom when you're trying to adjust just. Yeah, like you're not going to like start loosening bolts and all of a sudden your spindle drops yeah. or something. You guys have a common architecture now for the controller across the... Pretty much standardized on the 2.4e um, revision, and that was in Nomad and Shapeoko. Uh, going forward, the Nomad 3 and the Shapeoko Pro are going to share the 3.0 controller board, okay. which is a slightly bigger footprint, but it's also like includes everything that kind of we wished we could roll in, or had we known, we would have included those extra ports. Because uh, on the Shape Oko, when you add in like the touch probe and you add in the bit setter, uh, you kind of run out of ports. And so we had like splitter boards and we had riser boards. So you could plug in inductive switches because uh, all our homing switch plugs were two pin, whereas all the inductive switches require three. Uh, so it just it became a Frankenstein <laughs> controller setup where you had like different pigtails coming off it and a riser board. Uh, so the new 3.0 board, like everything is supported natively, which is really nice. Going back to the frame, did you guys put like a like cross rails now? Or what's going on underneath the table? So uh, we really wanted to address the sagging that people were complaining about. So there are on the double XL four uh, cross members that go across the X axis, uh, four beams front to back that supports uh, basically a T-track table. Uh, Edward's really pleased with that. He calls it the hybrid table. And so it's custom aluminum extrusion um, that goes front to back. It's sort of a U-channel, but there's also C-channels on either end. So when you uh, set up some of these side by side, 
the ends become a, a T-slot and the uh, center U-channel, you can drop in some MDF. And the MDF is fully supported front to back. And so I personally have a lot of plans to drop some threaded inserts in these MDF slats. Um, and it should basically uh, be sag-free because it's fully supported and the bottom of the machine is resting directly on the table. Uh, the other thing is those cross members, we have some standoffs that come up and support the Y rail um, at four points on each side. And so there's basically no room for any sag in the y-axis rails as well oh, very cool yeah it looks like it it was just kind of i don't know how when, when did the shape of 03 ship that was like 20, that was i was actually just looking in my archives uh I, it was early 2015 i want to say yes um so there's like five yeah. years of of uh data collection and learning right yeah, I mean, this, this. the first year and a half that we came out, there were some some pretty big changes, some uh, corrections to omissions and uh, accessories. And um, I think the, the Z-axis plate, um, there was an issue where the sheet metal would uh, bend or deflect a little bit. Um, so we, we swapped that out for a C-shaped uh, front plate um, on the belt drive. Uh, just to prevent it from deflecting and bowing. Uh, but yeah, it's the architecture has come a long way. Yeah. Uh, I've actually um, got a picture of all three shape Ocos, one, two, and three side by side. And the, the evolution is pretty cool. Um, but this, the Pro just takes it to the next level. And I, I wish that's what we had all along. But um, I understand, like why we took those incremental steps to get there that we did. And part of that is just the, the community and the understanding of that technology, especially in the hobby space, has just been changing over time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm guessing some of this was driven by, there's probably people doing stuff with Shapeocos that Ed never had in mind initially, right? Um, you know, especially on the metal side. I don't know if that was really his kind of use case initially for the earlier shape ogos I just figured that he was... I mean the use case was like just hobbyists making something available because up until that point um I mean like 3D printers ha are probably like 3 years ahead of the curve in terms of like consumer adoption like you can see these in like libraries and maker spaces it was just a lot more approachable and it matured to the point where like you could buy one at Staples or something um, but CNC has always been a little scarier. The general public, just it's been slower for them to get behind it. Um, and because of that, it's just, I don't know. It took a little longer for our machines to get to where they are now, where they're stronger and more robust. Because the early use cases were, oh, I just need something to carve some wood or like uh, cut out a piece of cardboard or something. Um, and I guess if you were a serious user you probably would have fallen into the like shop bot camp or something. I mean, this is a pretty beefy machine. Like I'm looking at it's, I I'm pretty, this, this is super exciting. Even, you know, even though I I'm not in the hobby machine realm anymore, but I'm thinking like, what are you guys going to do? What's the next machine going to look like? It, it almost feels like your next evolution is going to be even insane because of everything that you guys are putting into right now. 
it'll be a while before we can take down uh, CR Onsrecht, but <laughs> maybe in a couple decades we'll get there. Yeah, I wanted to ask a couple more questions about the the, the Shapeoko Pro. Like, um, are the rails going to be attached already, like to the extrusions? Yeah, um, it's actually uh, I got the first machine to go out of Chicago. Um, it, it was such an early prototype that they didn't have the powder coating done they or anodizing. They literally like uh, rattle can painted the <laughs> end plates and shipped it out. Um, and it, uh, it gets put together really easily. Um, Ed's put a lot of thought into the order that things should go together. So the first step is you build that table. You put your four cross traps on a table. Then you put the uh, hybrid table extrusions across that lightly bolt them down. Um, then you attach the Y rails on standoffs and then you can sort of square it. Then the Y axis uh, rails are already attached. I think they're MGN 15s. Um, and then once you have that down, the whole gantry uh, minus the Z carriage is already assembled. So you just lift that whole thing, drop it onto the Y rails and bolt those in uh, attach. You bolt on the Z carriage, which is a modified Z plus basically. And that's the structural elements of the machine together. Um, There's very little like, oh, bolt this carriage plate onto the rails and then like put the gantry on top. Uh, It's like basically long extrusions, bolt them together, drop on the gantry, bolt on the Z carriage, and you're set. Uh, There's a lot of wire management, but all the cable management stuff has been, uh, it's no longer an afterthought. like we have double drag chains on the gantry, one for spindle, one for uh, stepper and uh, homing switches. And those go out to separate ends just to minimize any potential for interference. Um, I think it's overkill unless you want to drop in like a water cooled spindle, in which case it's nice that you have a free drag chain to yourself. Um, and those drag chains are uh, bolted down, terminated to sheet metal on both ends so it's super secure uh you can pick it up with a a couple friends it's it's kind of heavy it's over 100 pounds for sure um and then relocate it and everything is just attached to the machine uh so it should be uh i think people will think it's 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 got a higher level of polish in terms of the the user assembly experience does it include the uh spindle digital control for turning it on and off or is that Uh, it does not uh that is where we're sort of like cooking up version 2.0 of bitrunner um but that is not ready yet um but it will have the connector so that you can hook it up to uh digital control on the router um so yeah it'll be good um and honestly with a, a machine that rigid uh People are probably going to start putting spindles on this for sure. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it, it could handle it easily. So, yeah. uh, so, so that one was kind of more of a mystery to you, right? It's kind of going on in the Skunk Works in Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I had a vague uh, idea of what was happening. Um, Edward told me, hey, like, I've got a, a secret package coming for you in a couple months. And I was like, okay, sure. How, how great could it possibly be? <laughs> and it turned out to be that... Um, so pretty freaking great. Yeah, it's awesome. I like the, I definitely like the new bed design, um, and like the way you get the extrusions for the, the kind of 
you know, they end up forming the, the T slots, but they're separate. Like that's kind of clever. Um, but you've been working on the Nomad three. So tell us that, that one you probably very intimate with, I would imagine at this point. Far too much. <laughs> um, so that had an interesting, uh, development process just because, um, usually I'm not the one involved with, uh, design on machines sometimes i'll provide input on accessories but up until like february i really was kind of out of the loop on um r&d stuff so i think about march ish uh, robert came to me and he was like hey i'm, I'm taking a, a two-week trip to go programming for uh like carbide motion or something uh here is the um the solidworks model for the nomad uh, build everything to go around it. Um, so I brought that into Fusion and I started designing the enclosure, trying to keep as much of the original DNA as I could while um, addressing every uh, complaint and issue and gripe that I had with the original Nomad. Uh, so it was actually kind of nice to be able to uh, do all that, uh, to be given that freedom to uh, create the whole enclosure um, address all the problems without telling them, and the only input they gave me was, I think there should be a chamfer on that top front corner. <laughs> um, yeah, side windows, I yeah. saw that. That's awesome. <laughs> that that was a something I definitely wanted, um, just from a, a filming perspective, yeah. having that angle really helps, and also being able to line up the, um, the machine um, to the, the front edge of a part. Because if you're trying to, to eyeball your zero point on a corner, it's it's really difficult to to be able to like stick your head into the machine and look across the x axis direction. Uh, so windows really help there. Yeah, and you could I don't know how low they go. Like there's been times when I would like on my original Nomad, I wish I had like side cut out so I could have big stock kind of extending out a little bit <laughs> just to saw it in half that was my band thought back they then. don't go behind the um where the spindle yeah, is you. like along the x-axis yeah. uh, so if you had like a large triangular piece maybe the ends could stick out towards the front like the wider side uh but for the most part it's it's probably not good for clearance it is good for if you want to just remove a window and and plumb in a vacuum hose oh yeah that's true or or an atc uh, i actually i've got one window where i have a cutout specifically for a vacuum hose some people can make that mod um or they can just cut their own window and have a, a different window if they want a vacuum hose and one if they just want it completely sealed uh we'll see what people do i don't know if we like I might make a push to offer just replacement windows, especially if they get scratched up. Uh, we'll see. You guys went to linear rails on the C-axis and kept the round rails right on the X and Y on that machine. Yeah. Um, from the, the perspective of what we wanted to do, a lot of it was mainly with the Z-axis. Um, we're pretty comfortable with the uh, round rail architecture for X and Y. Yeah, they're beefy. It's worked out really well. And uh, I mean, we've got a five axis that can machine those carriages as a single block. So that's not really an issue. But on the Z axis, those round rails were, were forcing some really complex, I don't want to say convoluted design decisions, but it's, it's kind of weird because you've got um, just 
the allowance for the the bearing blocks to sit in there and then you've got to hold that spindle which was a in a round cylindrical form factor so there was a lot of material removal that was happening for that and being able to switch it to a flat plate architecture of just aluminum rectangle bolted to linear rails simplified that a lot biggest improvement was the spindle right so what are the specs on that guy Ooh, uh so it should be about 150 watts um and it is geared in a way that the top end is 24,000 rpm which is going to make it so much better than the uh the old nomad 10,000 rpm was okay for like wood and plastic um but I know there are some guys out there that are, that are doing like fine engraving work yeah. and small tools. Uh, jewelry stuff. Yeah, those tiny tools, your, your chip load is so small that at 10,000 RPM, you're feeding at like maybe like single digit or like tens of inches per minute. And uh, being able to more than double the um, RPM should give you about double the feed rate, which will really help. Did y'all keep the same uh, max feed rate? Compared to the um, that is not set in stone yet. Okay. Uh, I am trying to push Robert to allow uh, rapids of at least 150 to 200, um, just because that would make repositioning so much easier. Uh, they tend to be fairly conservative with what they do. Um, they don't want any risk of, of like steps. the feed rate causing issues yeah. or reducing torque. Personally, I've run it at 200 to 250 inches per minute um, just to kind of push it for myself to see what will happen. Um, I expect we should be able to hit at least 150 inches per minute uh, rapid um, without uh, compromising anything and at least 100 cutting. Uh, but I, I personally think we can push a little more than that. Very cool. And you guys, uh, you added lighting. Right, that's standard. <laughs> yeah, um, my old Nomad. I went on Amazon. I bought some like under cabinet lights, and I installed them, and it looked so good. And for, I've been with Carbide now for about two years. For for that entire time, I've been like the old Nomad. It just it looks underwhelming without lights. I would go from my office with my customized machine. I'd walk outside and. We have our support staff. They we give them homework assignments just so they're familiar with the machine, and they uh, machine something periodically every couple weeks. And I'd I'd look at them working in an office with suboptimal lighting, and their their machines would just look depressing because uh, they're they're hunched over it, they're casting a shadow over their workpiece, and it's just it's it's not photogenic. Um, so adding those LEDs was something I really wanted to do. And that also gave us the, the perfect um, place to put our branding on the back of the machine, since we have a white HDPE sheet on the back. So we've got the, the Nomad um, in a all-caps font, um, vinyl decals on the back, um, illuminated by the LEDs. And so it, it just it really pops. It's got a really nice modern look. Uh, one of my friends said it looked like uh, what would happen if Apple made a CNC machine. Yeah, no, it looks great, man. And you guys hit it pretty much like on all the beats of things that we've always wanted on like, you know, the small machine or the Nomad itself. So it's pretty exciting, man. I'm super happy for you guys. Yeah. And I'm I'm really happy with where we ended up um, because despite the delays, um, it also gave us time to really think about what we wanted out of the machine. Um, I, 
earlier in the development cycle, um, George told me that they were aiming for 15,000 RPM. And I, I just, I kind of pouted at his door and I was like, <laughs> do we, do we really have to settle for something so low? And then as the development dragged on, uh, they told me, all right, if, if you want to higher RPM, go try it out. Um, and of course, like, because we'd switched from, uh, the GT2 belt, uh, linking the motor to the spindle, uh, and we're using a round belt, um, it's really hard to get, like, the, the exact size and ratio that you want from them. Um, so I went to the Pocket NC and I machined my own pulley, uh, specifically to gear it to the right ratio to try and hit, like, 20,000 RPM. And then when Rob saw that working, he was like, try going a little higher. And uh, so we, we just kept bumping that up until we ended up at 24,000. Very nice. I'm kind of curious to see if someone um, manages to reverse the pulleys. The shaft diameters are different, but I'm almost wondering if someone wants to make a, a tiny little uh, steel machining uh, setup if they can. But it's it's probably not what the machine is meant to do. Um, that The RPM is really where you get the most advantage and the most utility out of that machine. Yeah, with the tooling size that you'd use on it. I definitely agree. More yeah. RPM is always better i 100 percent agree so you guys um did you guys announce pricing on the nomad 3 i couldn't remember if that was yeah both of them come out to about 2800 okay well that's very close um, to the, the nomad pro price if i recall yeah we we wanted to keep it as close uh as we could and part of the reason we're able to do that is by like making the machine smarter so simplifying that z-axis was part of it um and then just bringing as much as we could in-house. Um, we bought a UMC 750 just so that we could make those carriages in-house um, and not have a vendor do it. And that gives us just more direct control over quality control um, and just improving the process. Uh, as we learn how to make them better, we can immediately fold those improvements into the toolpath because we own the part, we own the process. Right. Yeah, it makes it easier to experiment too, right? Stuff that never probably makes it into the final version. You can find out if it's going to yeah. work. Yeah, I mean, if, if we want to make a, a custom version of something or, or just try something out, we could do that. Um, right now, we, we're probably not just because we want to lock down our, our G-code and like hit cycle start and get the same part out until we're through the initial surge. Um, but if in the future we want to iterate, we want to improve we do have that capability man it's uh oh, this like i'm i'm reading the specs and all this and i'm like super tempted to get both but i i, I wouldn't need it for anything you know what i mean but i just want it to want it cuz it's it's like the <laughs> nomad was the first machine that i got or the shapoko was the first machine that i got and then the nomad was after that so there's this nostalgia that's like itching at me right now but this is like the dream machines right here, man. You guys have literally put everything I I've wanted. I think the only thing left is coolant <laughs> and like some kind of MQL system. But yeah. I mean, uh, MQL, I think, would be the, the way to go. Um, I know someone who has a, um, like the Mega V, the, I, I don't want to say Shapeoko knockoff on air, but it's kind of a Shapeoko <laughs> knockoff. Um, and that machine was designed with like taller legs connected to the frame so you could almost like make a, a water bath for it and so this guy cuts like carbon fiber parts and so he just he made a wow. big tray that submerges the bottom half of the machine and i i can't imagine that uh 
like just the cleanliness of that setup lasting more than like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like you get coolant spray everywhere and ooh, it's going to be, it's going to look like a, a plasma machine or, or water jet. It's going to be gross. Get... Yeah. I can, I can 100% <laughs> attest to that. It'll be gross. <laughs> Have there been any machining videos released yet on the, either of those machines? Did I miss any? Uh, we have recorded one video. Um, there's a local woodworker who we're working with, um, Big Barn Design on Instagram. Um, he's got the the on camera presence to be able to put together a good like sort of walkthrough video. Uh, so hopefully that video will come out in the next week or so. Um, but I've just been so busy on uh, production stuff that I have not been able to make a video for it. Um, which is both good and bad, bad in the sense that we, we do need content and I've been away from doing what I was hired to do, but also cool because that means I get to like, again, influence the, like our development and the, the products that we ship. So it's exciting, uh, but a little stressful. Yeah. It's a big transition because I, you know, my takeaway when they hired you, your carbide was, you know, you were coming on as, uh probably one of the most experienced users of their products, right? So you brought all that knowledge and your wish list, right? And now you're actually, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you went probably from talking about it with them, you know, informing their product design to actually you're making part, I mean, you're, you're part of the design process now. Like you've got your hands on, you know, good part of that machine, at least the, the Nomad Pro when we see it. I'm sorry, the Nomad 3. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Winston made. Uh, People are going to be mixing that up for a yeah. while. <laughs> Nomad Three Pro shape of a. It's almost like a user design machine, right? That's the direct feedback. Yeah. Uh, like I, I bring like feedback as a genuine user of the machine, um, which unfortunately I think I'm still the the person who uses the machines the most uh, out of everyone in Torrance. Um, I, I wish. Rob was a heavier user of Carbide Motion, so he'd be even more uh, inclined to fix some of the small nagging issues that I have. Um, but it it's nice to be able to influence the direction of development based on my own wishes, which is a little selfish, but I'd like to think that I'm a, a reasonable barometer of what people want out of their machines. Yeah, when I when I read the the blog post, like it checked off a lot of things that I would have, you know, if I was the, the nomad designer, things I would have fixed enhancements, right. Or just things to make it a little bit more yeah, user friendly, I mean, especially for people shooting video, um, yeah. documenting their, their work on the machines. So yeah, I think I can definitely see the influence there. Did you guys keep Gerbil for both machines? Uh, yes, we did. Okay. Um, and it's, it's probably for now, like the easiest way to continue operating. Um, just because it's, we know it has all the features set like we need. Like it, it has support for probing. It has support for homing. Um, people have been clamoring for like dual access homing, but I think that's still experimental in Gerbil right now. Uh, so probably not happening. Also would require a hardware change. Um, but I mean, for the most part, it does exactly what we need it to do. And um, it's not like we're uh, at a loss for precision or speed. Oh, yeah. Uh, people aren't expecting the same responsiveness as like a Heidenheim controller, so <laughs> yeah. it it does exactly yeah. what we needed. I've to. always been a big fan of Gerbil. It was extremely reliable. That's like one thing I remember about you know, the machines that used it behaved the way you would expect, right? So 
Yeah. The only thing I think, like, I don't know if it'd be an improvement or not, but the way Pocket NC does it, where they have the um, the G code uploaded to the machine locally, so that if you have any sort of a USB disconnect, it'll still keep running. It, it would almost be nice, but I I think you would also add an extra layer because sometimes their um, their uh, HTML UI has a bit of responsiveness issues. But I I think they fixed that in a recent. Uh, firmware patch. Yeah, that's definitely a different approach. Um, I mean, the five axis, that's probably where you start to see pain staying with Grobo, but, um, but yeah, I think for a three axis machine, that's uh, at that price point you guys are hitting, that's a great way to kind of keep that price down. I'm assuming that you're going to be getting one of these machines in your garage as well, right? One of each? Uh, I don't have room <laughs> for both of them, um, but I am looking for like an XL size machine. The problem is it's about an inch or two wider than the originals. And my enclosure is very, uh, there, there's not a lot of room for growth in there. So I might just like pimp out my current XL. Um, I don't know, maybe talk to some of the guys over at Sondra's Machine Works and get one of their fixture plates. Um, and then just use that machine um, and then just go into work. I've been going into work like, basically every day for the past three months which is unheard of uh, my original work schedule was three days a week and two days i'd work on videos from home because there's no way to record dialogue in an active machine mm -hmm. shop um but it, it seems like commuting has become the new normal mm -hmm. so if that is where the machines are that is where i will go but i think i can eke a little more life out of the the current shape ocos i have in my garage plus the pocket nc Plus my new uh, vacuum former, so I got plenty to play with on. So both you're gonna sides. make me have to drive all the way to Torrance to play with these two new machines. Then that's that what you're saying? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. But there are some really great breweries out there for when COVID's over and we can hang out after work. You guys are making me jealous. And, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious. I'm really excited to actually try this out. I I definitely want to push the shit out of these two machines, and I'm curious, like, what's the hardest material that you've cut so far on them? Uh, probably just aluminum. I haven't had time to play around with no, them, I figure. Uh, all okay. that much. Um, yeah, once Vince but, gets his hands on it, then we'll really see. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I want to make another longboard. Um, just with so much more rigidity, I think I could uh, get some Vince Fab style speeds and feeds and cutting recipes on the Shape Oko and knock it out in like half the time it did originally. Yeah, yeah that's cool. So let's go back to the vacuum former. Um, so you were, I, I have been like really falling behind on social, keeping up with Instagram and stuff the last couple of weeks, just because there's some work stuff I had going on here. But, um, so what's going on with the, looks like those are spoons. What were you, what were you making with the vacuum former? I couldn't tell. <laughs> so, um, my, my last project video, I made a wooden spoon because a lot of people have been asking for like a two-sided machining project. So I figured a spoon would be a good excuse to, to show some indexing pins and flipping over a piece of stock and uh, just a, a good two-sided workflow. Um, and then once I had that, some people asked, started asking like, hey, can I buy one of these? And I, I don't think I'm going to make these to sell just because I don't have the time to invest into uh, making things that are, are going to sell for a marginal, modest profit. Um, but the... Um, the company behind the vacuum former I have is Make You, um, and they make a vacuum former called the Formbox, which is about an eight by eight uh, work area. 
Um, and I like they sent me the machine like several months ago, and I feel bad that I haven't used it. Um, but when I combine the cyber spoon with the fact that I needed something to some way to protect the spoon if it were theoretically shipped, um, I thought that I could make some custom plastic packaging. Um, and so I, I went through that exercise, and it was actually kind of fun. Um, because to make the um, the molds, the bucks that you vacuum form over, you want a high degree of uh, precision. It's just like with injection molding, where like any surface imperfections are going to show up in the thing that you mold mm -hmm. or cast. We mistakenly purchased a bunch of one-inch thick, like 12 by 12-inch 12 blocks of wren shape at Oof. work, uh, which was perfect for me. Um, they can't sell them because like that's not the size that we want to sell. And so they just handed me a stack of these like Ren shape bricks and was like, these are yours, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> and so I put the Ren shape with the vacuum former and it was honestly just the most convenient timing of a bunch of new toys and mistakenly purchased stock. Yeah. Ren shape's not that cheap either. Um, so that, that's a good score. I mean, it's not like terrible, like it's it's a dollar will get you like a couple cubic inches. But if you want a large block of it, it th those cubic inches yeah. add up. There's heat in that process, right? So it didn't have any rin shape. Was there any problem with the the forming heat? It's very good. Uh, OK. Yeah. That was um, it's basically uh, like a urethane based foam that's kind of rigid. Um, but the way that, like, what you're doing is you're basically just pulling a thin sheet of plastic over it and drawing a vacuum. Yeah. And so there's not not a lot of energy that's able to get transferred into the wrench shape anyway. Right. So you're pretty okay on that front. Yeah, because the heat's all happening earlier, right up in the lid or the upper yeah. riser. Yeah. Um, the way this vacuum former is set up is that there's a ceramic heater at the top and a, a frame that slides on uh, linear bearings. Um, so you clamp the plastic in the frame, you move the frame up right underneath the heater, and when it starts sagging, you push the frame down over the uh, the box, and it also turns on a vacuum. Um, so the entire time, basically, you've got a sheet of plastic that's soaking up the infrared radiation, uh, so it's it's fairly cool until the moment of contact between the plastic and the wrench shape, and the plastic is thin enough that it cools almost immediately yeah. and sets. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so I was wondering, so it was packaging you were making now, I know. <laughs> Mystery assault. Yeah, that came out really good, actually. I was, I was surprised because, like, um, I wasn't sure, like, how good that little tiny thing was going to be. But I, I think it came out pretty great. Pretty comparable to the uh, machine that they had at the school, uh, the vacuum board. It was, like, 100,000 times more expensive than what your Meku is. So, <laughs> Yeah, the great thing is that with Renshape, you don't need a like a Haas or anything to nope. to cut fine details because the it it just it's so easy yep. to machine like you just you touch it with an end mill and it disappears so there's like no deflection it's just down to the the precision of the machine itself and you'll look at the stepper motors we have and it's uh 40 steps per millimeter um in, in reality it's it's never quite that good there's there's a couple more artifacts in the the surface finish but um it holds like it you run your hands over it the the fillets feel smooth the um the depression for the spoon looks like flawless so yeah um machining run shape is a dream on any desktop cnc yeah it's probably 
most some of the most accurate stuff you can machine because it's probably very little, little deflection either. Yeah, it's like next to machinable wax. Yeah. It's probably as good as you're going to get if you want to purely hold tolerance in a non-structurally uh, important part. Well, speaking of vacuum, so I've been uh, working on kind of just a common set of vacuum-held work holding for the for the note. Ah. For the Neo. <laughs> I almost said for the Nomad. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I started off, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I bought the Saunders, uh, the small tooling plate, the one full of holes, and then put the plugs in that he sells and uh, and the mod box. But what I was looking for is like some, um, I leave the vacuum tables or the vacuum plates on the machine uh, more frequently now. I usually have to pull one off to put the, the vise and the chuck on the bolt-on subplate. Um, that works great. Like that's really rigid setup, but sometimes I want to leave the vacuum, like the whole machine set up for vacuum, but like just run a quick three axis vice part. And, uh, so yeah, I kind of, the Saunders vice, I set it up for vacuum. It's perfect. Like it holds pretty big, you know, bigger than anything, any of my other vices. I have like, uh, the Lang vice and, uh, the, uh, small orange compact vice. Um, I think the biggest stop or the biggest opening I can get is definitely with the mod vice. So for bigger like plate stuff, I can just slap it on the vacuum, put it in the vice, probe it, and I'm I'm good to go. Um, I like that so much. I said, yeah, I'm going to start building some other like vacuum held subplates for some for like a chuck that I bought. So I want to try to leave uh, the three jaw chuck that comes with the rotary axis. I'll probably try to leave that on there, and I just bought like a little cheapy Amazon three jaw for uh, doing three axis work. So I still have to make a subplate for that. Um, and I bought an ER40 collet chuck that uh, I did make the subplate for that and tested that out like super. I just loved being able to just put that stuff on the vacuum and, and go, right? Um, super quick for just knocking out something real fast without having a question yeah. for you. How much like surface area did you allocate for vacuum holding those fixtures down? Uh, I did. They're eight, eight by eight plates, so they cover like four okay. of the vacuum grids on the on the Nomad. Or I'm sorry, on the Neo plate. You know what I'm talking about? Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So they, they 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 will work with just one plate if I only have a single plate on the machine. Um, which is that's I could, that was kind of one of my design goals. That for people that don't know, like the Neo actually. If you set up with full, like the full table set up for vacuum, it's actually a front plate and a back plate. So it's like really two half plates. Um, and sometimes I run just the half plate configuration. I want to make sure I still had uh, that these would work with just one plate on the table. So they're sized to fit on one plate. And um, now the only one that's now the Saunders uh, tooling plate is a little bit bigger. I think his is 12 by 8, if I can remember. So that one does kind of take up a little bit more space, but the, the stuff I'm making, like for the, I'll make for the three jaw and, and for the, uh, the one I made for the ER40 is eight by eight. So yeah, it's, it seems to be perfect size. I was a little worried it'd be a little small, like they wouldn't have enough, uh, backing force, but, um, it's held up fine in testing. Like I probed it before, probed it after it didn't move. So pretty happy with it. So yeah, I'll be making some more of those. Um, Definitely got to do the one for the three jaw, and then I don't know what else. <laughs> I was almost thinking of like another one for the mod vice setup, like um, that doesn't have all the holes. Like I don't know. I got to think about that. 
it seems to be working really well even with the plug, so I probably don't have to worry about that. I was kind of worried it was, was going to leak too much vacuum. But Do the holes go all the way through that? Yeah, plate? yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so with the, the little uh, injection molded plugs that Saunders sells, this is accessories for that, um, for the half-inch holes. I, I plugged all those, those seem to be uh, vacuum tight enough that they're I'm not losing much vacuum. There's a few other holes, like for mounting, um, mounting it onto, I guess, whatever it is you'd be bolting it to, um, that basically the plugs don't fit those. So I just 3D printed some larger plugs. And uh, I think the other, yeah, I think that was it. That's only, once I got those, like the four big mounting holes plugged up, it was, it was rock solid. I was getting uh, almost um, a full atmosphere of vacuum, you know, minus, I guess, like 09, which is pretty good for me. With just you know that smaller area covered, yeah, that's not yeah. bad. So definitely recommend that. I wouldn't have expected the uh, the through holes when I saw it at first. I thought he might just um, like pocket it down and leave like a sixteenth of an inch at the bottom that's unbroken. But yeah, that that actually would have made it harder to manufacture. Yeah, I think um, I don't know like all the use cases he has for that plate. Obviously, it's designed. I think it's actually designed to go on like a machine that has a t-slot bed or something like that or whatever right i think it's, it's just kind of a but he he custom sized that for the neo right no i think um i don't no. think so i think this was already a product um what he did is he put mm -hmm. together um like all the stuff you would need to use it for vacuum work holding on the neo into like one clickable link on the store you made it convenient to order like the right set of gotcha. stuff so it's like a, a kit of off-the-shelf yeah. parts yeah, you, i thought he custom designed something specifically for no that. i don't think he did i think that subplate was out there before um i don't know what the original like originally what they designed it for i think it was just for mounting on machines that don't necessarily have the full saunders uh bed plate you know tooling plate gotcha yeah. so there's there's still room in the market for you to come in with your own uh, completely solid bottom fixture plate um, for random accessories. Oh, yeah. yeah, and actually that, that's what I was kind of trying to figure out if I want to make one of those for the mod vice, but like it's working so well, I don't think I need to. Well, it wouldn't be all that hard for you to make your own either, so <laughs> oh, yeah. you've already done it for the uh, ER collets. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty easy, so... And, not this. and aren't you like swimming in large aluminum yes. plates? Right that's now? why the vacuum uh, is staying on the table most of the time. So, um, yeah, I can switch back and forth, like from vacuum device to four axis pretty quickly on the Neo. Kind of got that down. But even that five to 10 minutes it takes to do that, I'd rather not do it and have to put the plates away and all that kind of stuff. So I really wanted to make sure I had a way to still do vice held work um, with the vacuum plates on there. And then the ER and the chuck were like, you know, seemed like the next logical thing, right? And that's pretty much all I had time to do on the Neo in the last like 10 days. <laughs> Everything else has been in Fusion uh, doing customer work. So hopefully, I think next week's going to be a pretty full week of machining for me. Nice. That's good. And you're, you're back up with your compressors yes. and everything. So you should be good to yeah, go. Yeah, it's been working great. Um, kind of gave it a stress test last week some uh, test machining but that's no problems with it and it's cooling down for you guys right because it is for us yeah i actually had to turn the the air conditioner over to heat <laughs> to the heat bumps <laughs> setting last week so trying to you know i want to make sure i don't end up with any condensation in there so 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's been nice. Texas seems like the place to be right now. <laughs> Just ask uh, Titan. Yeah, yeah, I heard he's moving. That's, that's pretty awesome. He's moving, I guess, Dallas area, right? Or was it Houston? Uh, not okay, Houston. Dallas, yeah. So it's, what, a two-hour drive for you? Uh, no, it's like five, four and a half, five. Yeah. Oh, uh, Texas. If it's not two <laughs> hours, it's like seven. It's an hour to drive from one end of Dallas to the other, just to give you an idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a big city. Um, yeah, that's kind of cool. I, I need to catch up. I saw like his blurb about on um, Instagram about the move, but I haven't had a chance to kind of sit through and watch the video. Um, yeah, it's kind of exciting. And uh, yeah, especially to see just more manufacturing coming into the state. Yeah, Kelvin, um, I think Urban Survival Gear. Yeah, he's he made his move from California to Texas. Uh, he's got his he's got his machines in his shop. I don't know if he's up and running yet. But, He's almost there if he's not like um so he's out in west texas someday i hope to go visit him but that's a real really long drive i want to say he's like in amarillo or somewhere out there Oof, that's like over four hours then right? uh, yeah it's probably it might be i think it was what seven to eight hours for me to get from you to the new mexico border yeah i so. think it's like it's probably from here to where his shop is it's probably like six to eight hours but um He's not too far from El Paso, I don't think. But yeah, that's uh, that's all the fun stuff we get to do once the COVID, <laughs> the COVID era is behind us, right? Uh, it's probably gonna be a while, but yeah. Yeah, no, I said once it's behind us, right? <laughs> I got I got a long list of things I want to do. I never got to make my West Coast trip. That was kind of a bummer. Just happened, Chris. As far as shop stuff, uh, nothing really yeah. interesting. Just chucking away on triple trees and they're making stuff and we actually got the intake for the motorcycle uh that we designed we 3d printed and then we had someone uh use a roamer digital arm to basically point tap and create a step file and the file they gave us was like amazing i was shocked utterly shocked at how accurate and smooth the surfaces and, and everything was it's basically you would indistinguishable from a normal like CAD file as if you drew it in fusion itself. And is that, that a, is that a physical, like a touch probe or is it a optical? Uh, system, uh, optical, like sorry, optical 3d scanner. Uh, I'm thinking oh, of the one okay. we have at work okay. is the point probe, but no, this is a 3d scanner one. And, uh, we, we were just kind of messing around. Our, our buddy of ours has one. So we were like, Hey, let's, let's test it. Like we'll 3d print this thing we designed and show me what kind of file you can give us. And it was a really good file. I was, like I said, I was really shocked. Um, and we could, if we didn't already design it in CAD, we could definitely use that model and it'd be great for it. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I have finally get to do a fun project coming up. So I'm going to try my best. What is October 4th? I try my best to finish that in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then I will be making a video on that one. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, cool. And then that's, that's the home. Yeah. Right? So that, that's all. Okay, I'm still God, doing it. Doing I, I, yeah, I might be late, but I'm still doing it. I'm going to pull a Grimsmo Rask situation here, or I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do my best to get it done, but we'll, we'll see here. Um, you can't let a $500 piece of stock just sit there anyways, right? You got to use, you got to do something with it. So, <laughs> uh, and the other thing is that work has been really fun too. Cause I've, I've had some nice quality time with the DVF 5,000. Um, and, falling in love with the pallet pool you know originally when they when they bought it and they told me the price tag i was like do we really need that like you know we're gonna do the zero point anyways on the fifth axis like 
do we really need a pallet pole? And the answer is 100% yes, because the how sweet it is for me to work on it, and then if I need to stop uh, proofing it to change something in the program, I'm basically, me and this other program, we're like wrestlers. We can tag each other in and out. So when I'm working on the machine and he's programming, and when I'm done, I can like move the pallet out and bring his in, and I tag him in, and he goes and pro- or he proofs it out while I program, and we just go back and forth, and there's no loss in efficiency of machine runtime. Like that thing's always running and, and, you know, always on. And then we have all our other pallets set up for just like um, prototyping stuff or one-offs or thing like fixture stuff. So we have a Kurt vice mounted in one of them. We have a fifth axis vice mounted in another one. And then the other one, we have a bunch of extra holes drilled for like a threaded table tap thing. So we have a couple pallets that we designated to like kind of like freelance work stuff or fixturing. And the rest of it is all like job shop base, rock lock, uh, fifth axis base. We have them all bolted on there. And it's just it's just so sweet. Like it's so nice, so easy to use. Um, and everything is pretty sweet. Like from everything that I've seen so far, I love the motion of the DVF. It's very fast and very smooth. C-axis rotation, B-axis rotation is very quick, you know. Um, much faster than UMC and, and anything else that I've used. So that that's always really fun. Still a little bit of a pucker factor when I put on a hundred percent, even though I proved it, but it it's pretty, uh, it's fun to watch when it's dancing around like that. Um, and I got, I got a, the next couple jobs already kind of set up. Uh, they've spent very little time getting all the work in. So we have a lot of fun work lined up for me in strange materials once again. So That'll be fun to see if I can knock those out. And uh, this has been a really good last two weeks for me as far as work stuff. Really hunkering down, getting to use the machine, uh, fulfilling my dream of you know using in a, a really expensive industrial five-axis at work in a professional setting and with deadlines and everything and, and tolerances and specs and customer and whatnot. So it's been a really exciting learning experience so far. And from what I've seen, we bought another uh, Deuce on three-axis. So they're... They're all in on this, and uh, they're right. they're they're full steam ahead on just buying Dusons apparently. So we're hundred percent a Dusan shop now with uh, Fanatic control. That's about it. Does this uh, spoil you on the UMC five hundred? Because <laughs> uh, if you're looking to get rid of it, uh, okay. Uh, so I love the machine. I hate the control. So I don't I don't hate it because it's not good. So I hate it because in the amount of time it takes me to do one thing to another it's just too many clicks and buttons and pushes like i have to do too many actions to get to the from a to b the haas controller is still super easy like super fast i can get things quickly done i i don't know why they're not just all like that like i wish they were it's just complicated for no reason i have to hit like seven buttons to load a file and it's like why like i don't i don't get why this is it should be easier you know it wouldn't be hard to legacy this old stuff and then just give me a new interface that would be much sooner but or quicker at least but um no i i still think the host control is amazing uh, but i've but the doosan is very nice though as far as like the motion and i think rigidity uh i haven't really tested its surface finish capabilities yet so i don't know on top of that but i would assume that it's better than the umc just because of the price point um but yeah i mean it's got a chilled spindle and chilled bearings and stuff like that too so yeah very cool Fun times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, guys. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. You guys uh, ready to wrap it up? Yeah. I got to go back and uh, get some final shots for my next project. <laughs> yeah. It's been good talking to you guys. 
Yeah, you too. Good night. All right. Good night, guys.